This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, boy. Dan preached a good little sermon right there. Did you get it? Yeah. Gather groups and give back. He's got it. Uh, Yeah. So... Uh, for those of you who are brand, brand new, my name is Ron, as you probably figured out, and uh, I'm the lead pastor of our church, and for the next few minutes, uh, I'm going to be teaching us, out of the teachings of Jesus, some really important stuff. So whether you're online, I, I want to encourage those of you online to move from being just viewers to actually participants. And I know that's kind of hard to do through video and so forth, but if you'll open your heart, God can speak into your life just as well through a TV screen as he can in person if that's what he has for you. So I want to welcome you, and this is going to be a great morning. Listen, this is going to be a life-changing morning for some of us. Are you up for that? Yeah. Yeah. The teachings of Jesus are in many ways counterintuitive. They're not natural. I was sharing this with some people earlier this morning, and I said, can you think of a principle Jesus taught that's counterintuitive? And one of the teens popped up right away. Love your enemies. That's counterintuitive, right? Yeah, we would never naturally do that. Somebody else said, turn the other cheek. I remember hearing a pastor say one time, I'll turn the other cheek, but if I hit, get hit twice, somebody's going to pay for it. <laughs> I think he might have missed the principle. What do you think? Yeah. So why did Jesus teach these counterintuitive principles? Did did he want to just make life hard for us? And did he sit in heaven and go, well, what's natural for them? Well, I'm going to call them to the exact opposite. No. Here's the truth. If what we were supposed to do was intuitive, we'd all be doing it. Right? Right? And we wouldn't need a savior. But the fact that the things that make life work don't seem to come naturally to us is all the more reason why we needed Jesus to come, pull back the curtain in life and say, let me talk to you about how it really works. And the subject that we're talking about this morning, I think, might be the most counterintuitive of all the subjects that Jesus talked about. You know what that means. I'll put that in plain English. It might be the hardest for us to accept. So, having said that, I want to start with what is an anchor verse in my life. I want to tell you that every week, multiple times, I think about this verse. I also want to tell you that everything I do in leading our church in some way 
goes back to this very verse. This very teaching of Jesus. And in many ways, it is a foundation stone for our entire church. And here it is up on the screen. Jesus said, the reason I have come is so that people may have life and have it to the full. That means every, everything that Jesus ever taught. If you could use your imagination just for a moment this morning, and if in your imagination you could take me off of this stage, and in your imagination you could put Jesus right here. He's standing right here. And he's saying to you, listen, everything I talked about, Everything I taught, there's one reason for it. It's so that you could thrive in life. I didn't come to see what I could get out of you. I came so that you could have life and have it to the full. Maximum life. Now, in this church, everything we do is so that you could have life because we are in alignment with the principles of Jesus. And there are three things that Jesus built into his church on purpose and intentionally because they are things that actually help us thrive in life. And Dan already talked to you about this. They are, as you can see on the screen, gather groups and giving back. To gather in this setting, that's what we're doing, so we can learn and so we can be instructed and so we can be together and, and all the good things that happen when we are here and we can worship and connect with God and God connects with us. It's a beautiful thing when the gathering of the church is not just something we go to and go through a bunch of motions and go home. It's one of the reasons why in this church you kind of never know what's going to happen. Sometimes we do communion early, sometimes we do it late. Sometimes we do communion in the middle of the message. Sometimes there's a bunch of people on the stage. Sometimes there's only three or four people on the stage. It we don't want you to ever be able to come and snooze through church <laughs> and just know when to wake up. Yeah, because when the church gathers and we're doing what Jesus has called us to do, it's fresh every week. It's inviting every week. It's engaging every week. It's learning every week. And in some way, it's taking a step forward every week. Because if you could ever come to new life and leave and be no different than when you came, I say, why come? Yeah. I think Jesus would say the same. So, whether it's gathering or groups or giving back, there's a great purpose. So, let's just start with a straight-up understanding 
of this counterintuitive principle of Jesus when it comes to giving back. And here it is. Jesus invites us into a posture of generosity because he knows it enables us to thrive in this life. I want to talk for a minute about the difference between doing something generous and a posture of generosity. Anybody can be moved in a moment of emotionalism to do something generous. But having a general posture of generosity throughout your life is a different thing. And sometimes it helps our conscience if we do something generous and we think, good, that gets me off the hook for a while. If you ever have that feeling, you have missed the point. You're like the pastor who says, I'm turning the other cheek, but if I get hit, I'm going to smack somebody. I think he missed the point. There's a big difference. Jesus doesn't call us to be generous once in a while. He calls us to this posture of generosity. And by the way, it's way bigger and way more comprehensive than just writing out a check to the church. It's an internal posture of generosity toward all people and toward God himself. That's a big deal. Now, why would Jesus call us to that? Well, there's an illustration out in nature that I think would help us grasp this. And it's the difference, the basic difference between a river and a pond. You and I have been created to be rivers, not ponds. Now, here, not, not, not like a chess player pond, but like a body of water pond. All right, got it? A river has this fresh supply of water that comes, but a river never stores up water for itself. It's always passing the water on. And the stronger the current in the river, the fresher the water is normally. A pond, on the other hand, continually collects water, but it has no outlet. I grew up in Iowa. There's a pond on almost every farm. And we used to go swimming in the ponds in the summertime. Not because the water was wonderful, because it literally stank. And it had scum, and we would part the scum so we could swim in the water. But when it's 105 degrees and 100% humidity, and you've been bucking hay all afternoon, anything feels good, even if, if you have to part the scum to get in. <laughs> and it's mud on the bottom that goes up between your toes. Yeah. It's nasty. Because it's stagnant. Now, here's this wonderful principle at work in our lives. When God, through his blessings, and actually through my hard work, begins to flow resources and talents and gifts and time into my life, if I think it's about me, and I hang on to as much as I can, and I make sure no one ever takes advantage of me. 
and I make sure I get everything that's coming to me and a little bit more because that's when I feel really good is when I get more than I think I should have. I end up with this foul, stinking heart that does not make me thrive in life. But when I take whatever God flows into my life and I just pass it on like a river, my life is fresh. I want to say it like this. You show me a person who lives with a generous spirit and I will show you a happy person every single time. Without fail. Never changes. So Jesus calls us to this generous spirit because he knows it's the only way we can, we can thrive. So let's go and look at a teaching of Jesus, and I think you might be surprised at how he applies this generosity of spirit. Here it is. If a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, carry it how many? Two. We've all heard of the second mile, right? Jesus invented that. Now, in, in order to understand what that means, the Romans were occupying the nation of Israel, and it was written in Roman law that any soldier could stop any Jew at any time. I don't care if you were going to the store for a loaf of bread so you could go home and have a meal with your family. They could tap you on the shoulder and say, here, dude, carry my backpack for a mile. You're walking a mile that direction, and then you're walking a mile back home, right? And Jesus said... I want you to have a generous spirit so that even someone you despise can require you to do something. Anybody ever work for a boss like that? That you kind of despised? Yeah, I have. Even in the church. That's crazy, huh? And Jesus says to me, Ron, you want to be happy in life? Whatever that boss requires of you and probably won't even say thank you for, do more. Go above and beyond. Have a generous spirit. He goes on to apply it additionally. Give to those who ask and do not turn away from those who want to borrow. Ooh, that's hard. He goes on to say, love your enemies. That's even harder. But I want you to see why he says it. Look at the next part. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting like true children of your Father in heaven. We're going to come back to the scripture in a little bit. He ends it up by saying, for he gives his sunlight to both the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust alike. Wouldn't the world be interesting if God was like us and he only blessed people who liked him? <laughs> there were all kinds of holes in the rain clouds for all those people who didn't believe in God. They never got any rain. And there were all sorts of clouds in the sunlight in their house. The sun never shone on their house. Why, why doesn't God do that? Well, everybody would claim to be a believer then. Not because 
They actually believed in him. They wanted some rain and sunlight. God says, no. I am going to be generous with everyone. I'm going to live with generosity of heart and spirit toward all people. And so, God blesses people who don't believe in him, and God blesses people who deny his existence, and God blesses people who even hate him. Have you ever been sideways with God? Yes, you have, whether you want to admit it or not. We've all been sideways with God. But aren't we glad that even in those moments when we get sideways with him and we don't understand what's happening and we have a tendency to blame him or to cry out like David, okay, God, where are you? I've been waiting for you to show up. As the old song says, there have been times when I have been out of his will, but I have never been out of his care. That's pretty good. God calls us to live with that generosity of spirit toward everybody in our world. Let's look at another passage. Jesus says, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, don't invite your friends, brothers, and relatives, and rich neighbors. Why? If I could serve them hamburger and they serve me steak, I'll do that all day long. He goes, that's the problem. He goes, for they will invite you back. And oh, by the way, that will be your only reward. You better love that steak. But he said, instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. People who have no ability to put on a banquet for you. Be generous of heart and spirit. Here's another teaching of Jesus. By the way, all parents learn this in parenting school. Did you know that? We all say it. Here it is. You must remember the words of our Lord Jesus who said what? It is more blessed to give than receive. That is true. But, but I want to say something to us because I, I didn't actually get what that scripture was teaching for a long, long time. Here's how I understood what Jesus was saying I felt like Jesus was saying it is more noble to give than to receive. Of course, that's the high road. That's what all the good people do. If you want to do the right thing, you should be giving. That's not actually what he said. I would agree it's more noble to give than receive. Maybe. But every once in a while, people come to me And they're in a point of need and people want to give to them and they don't want to receive because it's humiliating to them. I say the same thing every time. You know what it is? Do you like to give? 
Yeah. Okay, consider this. If no one ever receives, no one gets to give. Got it? And there's a time in your life when it's appropriate for you to give, but there's also a time in your life when it's appropriate for you to receive. And you need to have the grace and the humility to be okay with both. Hmm. What Jesus is actually saying is, when we give away our money and we give away our service, we actually experience and feel more blessings than when we either earn or are given them. You want to feel blessed in life? Give something away. You want to feel blessed in life? I mean, to feel blessed, go serve somebody. Go do something for someone. Because you will feel more blessed by giving. Now, Jesus not only invited us into this posture, he gave us a warning or two, and I'm only going to put one up here on the screen, but I find it so captivating. Look what Jesus said. Watch out. You know what that means? That what I'm about to tell you will trip you up unless you pay close attention. You ever get in your car in a parking lot and there's no car in front of you? You think, I'm just going to pull through and go out? And you forgot there was a curb right there? <laughs> Everybody's done that, right? Bang. Oh, man. This is one of those curb moments in life. Watch out. Okay? And then he goes on to say, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Most of us think, I'm not greedy. I don't cheat. I, hey, I'm not a greedy person. Oh, no, Jesus says, I'm not just saying this for people who are obviously greedy. I'm giving a gentle warning to everyone because greed has all kinds of different forms. And here's one that virtually every one of us in America needs because we are constantly fed a diet that our life consists in the abundance of possessions, Right? Do you have a TV? Do you ever watch a commercial? What is it that they're telling you you can't really live without? Stuff. Stuff. <laughs> Wonderful smelling sheets in your dryer. How do you live without that? You can always tell a new gain person. <laughs> they pull the stuff out of the dryer. And they're sniffing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, how can you live without that privilege? You can't. I got to buy one. Yeah. Listen, Jesus said, be on your guard. Man, there's nothing wrong with nice smelling sheets that go in your dryer. But be on your guard because greed can reach up and take hold of your heart and you don't have a clue. And it comes in all these various forms. I love 
three decades after Jesus lived. One of his closest followers, whom we know by the name the Apostle Paul, wrote to a really good friend of his by the name of Philemon. And I want you to see what Paul said to Philemon and how it closely aligns with this teaching of Jesus about having a generous heart and spirit. Here it is on the screen. Paul said, listen, Philemon, I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. As you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Don't you love that verse? That's just awesome. There are at least three wonderful principles in it. And the first might be this. This whole idea of generosity of heart and spirit is an action. This is not just a warm, fuzzy feeling you have in your heart. When you truly have a generous heart, it springs you into action. The second thing is this, and let's go back, Gus. There you go. The second thing is this, that when we have, when we put this into action, there's a direct connection between our generosity and our faith. And we're going to get to that in just a couple of minutes. But there's no such thing as a person who has a vibrant faith that isn't also generous because they are tied together. And the third thing is this, when we put this generous spirit into action, we are way more capable of understanding the good things that we have in Christ. You ever know anybody who's spoiled? We all have met those people. And by the way, no one ever thinks I'm spoiled, even when we are, okay? Typically, a spoiled person is someone who does not appreciate or understand what they have, correct? They take it for granted. Did you know you could do that with God? And the thing that will keep you from being a spoiled Christian who takes for granted all the good things we have from God is this generous spirit. Because once you start flowing those things through your life, you will have a greater appreciation for all that you have received. So why? Let's dig down deeper. And see if we can't identify Jesus is calling us to this. It enables us to thrive. Let's see if we can figure out the logistics of how that works. Why does it enable us to thrive? And I'm going to give us five reasons today. Here's the first one. Why be generous with our service and and, and our giving? Because giving and serving generously enables us to personally experience living with God's heart. Do you remember that verse I said we're going to come back to? In this way, you will be children, true children of your heavenly Father who causes his Son to shine on the good and the bad, the good and the evil, and causes his reign to fall on the just and the unjust. It's not until you and I choose to live with a generous heart that we know what God feels like who has also chosen to live with a generous heart. 
That's pretty deep, don't you think? Yeah. If you came to church and the pastor said, how many of you would like to have God's heart? Yeah, most of us would go, count me in. Well, there you go. You can have it. Yeah, this is what it feels like to live with God's heart. Reason number two is this. Because giving and serving generously helps us rise above the consumeristic values of our culture. Think with me for a minute. Our culture continually tells us, live with a closed fist. Not so you can hit somebody. But get everything you can and hang on to everything you get. Now we're fed that diet day in and day out. Jesus came along and said, look, if you want to be happy, if you want to thrive in this life, relax your grip. Your life doesn't consist in the abundance of your possessions. I saw a bumper sticker the other day that said this. He who dies with the most toys still dies. <laughs> a few decades ago when Howard Hughes died, I, w I, heard, <laughs> I heard somebody say, I wonder how much money he left to his heirs. And I heard another person say, all of it. <laughs> I heard somebody else say, this is something you'll never see. A hearse followed with a U-Haul trailer. <laughs> there are all different ways of helping us understand this principle that you and I need to be set free from this desire to continually have and possess and collect and display all the things of our consumerist society. We don't have to reject it and go live on the hill like a hermit, but we have to intentionally do things that release the grip of materialism on our hearts. And Jesus invites us to that. Number three, because giving and serving generously are the purest ways to express and grow our faith and love. You want to grow your faith and your love? This is the best way to do it. You see, you can give and not love. But you cannot love and not give. It's impossible. Monica and I have been married for 51 years. Yeah, I know. She's a very patient woman, that's for sure. If when we were dating and I proposed to her and I said, would you marry me? And if she said, uh, well, what do you have in mind? And I said, well, you know, I want us to live together, but don't expect anything from me. Because I'm not a giver. 
What are the chances she was going to say yes? Zero, right? Because intuitively we all know. We have seen people give without loving. We've seen rich parents give without loving, right? We have seen wealthy people give a few thousand dollars here, a few thousand dollars there, maybe a hundred thousand here. But you know, if you have billions and you give a hundred thousand away, it doesn't mean a whole lot. You can give without loving, but it's impossible to love without giving because love has this insatiable desire to give. In the most famous verse of the Bible, it says, For God so loved the world that he what? Gave. It's impossible to love without giving. Listen, you can serve without loving, but it's impossible to love without serving because love has this insatiable desire not only to give, but to serve. If you want to grow your love, and you want to grow your faith, the best way to do it is to take a step forward in generosity. I didn't say just to give more, to take a step forward in generosity, in the generosity of your heart. And that may indeed involve you giving more. That's between you and God, and he will let you know that. Reason number four, because Jesus builds his kingdom on our generous giving and serving. (laughs) I love this. Did you know that God could easily make money fall out of the sky? He could do that. God could support every church on the face of the planet by having a little money cloud right over the top of it. And believe me, every pastor in the world that I know would say, sign me up be the most awesome way to support the church. Did you know that God could commission the angels to do all the serving and volunteering in the church? He could. So why didn't he? It could be argued that having money fall out of the sky would be easier than having us give it. It could be argued that if God commissioned the angels to do the volunteer work in the church, you think they might do it a little better than we do? I'm pretty sure they would. So why didn't he do it? Because if he did, you and I would be spoiled rotten. We would miss the joy of being generous because it would all be done for us. We would miss the joy of serving. We would miss the joy of volunteering. We would miss the joy of giving our lives away to help other people. We would be missing the stuff that makes life great. And we would never thrive. So Jesus said, in my kingdom, Here's how it's going to work. I'm going to give my people more than they need. And I'm going to ask them to give 
to my kingdom. So they get to know the joy of giving. And in my kingdom, I'm going to give my people gifts and talents that enable them to serve. And then I'm going to ask them to serve in my kingdom so they know the joy of serving other people. And when that happens, it's going to be beautiful. Reason number five is this. Because God God uses our generosity to catalyze our spiritual growth in ways other contexts can't. If you put the first four together, you get number five. There are so many things that God does in your life and mine that he can only do as we choose to be generous in spirit. And there's no other substitute for it. But when we choose it, you know how this grows our faith? It grows our faith because when God says, Ron, why don't you take some of those resources I've given you and give them away? And why don't you take some of the talent I've given you and give it away? But God, I could do more if I kept it myself. And God says, no, you couldn't. Whatever you trust me with, whatever you invest for people because of me, Jesus one time said, I will make sure that a hundred times that amount comes back to you. And there are whole ministries that are built on the idea of planting seed. That's not good theology, okay? Let me just tell you, when you turn on your TV and the pastor says, you send me $100 and God will give you 1000 turn off your TV. That's bad theology. But I can tell you this, as somebody who has walked with Jesus now for nearly 60 years, Whatever I have invested in God's kingdom has come back to me in different ways a thousand times over. I can tell you that for sure. This brings up a question that we're going to press into just as we close. How do I know when I'm being generous? That's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Now, This is not as easy to measure as you think. Because we have a tendency to measure, well, this is how I know when I'm being generous. If the need is $5 and I give seven, I'm generous. If I measure what I give against what is needed, that's how I know I'm being generous. And I would like to suggest that Jesus never used that measuring stick. And it's not accurate, actually. We all know parents and people who have boatloads of money and who buy for their children or other, th- other people way more than those people need and they walk away and they think, I'm being generous. But in the end, it did not cost them much of anything at all. Really. Actually, I would like to suggest that generosity is best measured by looking at the level of sacrifice required in giving the gift or service. 
One day Jesus was in the temple and people were coming by. They had a big uh, box that people dumped their offerings in. And a poor widow came up to that box and she dropped in what in our culture would be the equivalent of two pennies. That's not much, right? Two pennies. And after she left, Jesus said to his followers, do you realize she gave more than all those other people? And they looked at him like, where did you learn math? Are you really that bad at math? And he said, no. They all gave a little bit out of their abundance. And she gave everything she had. It wasn't what she gave measured against what was needed. It's what she gave measured against the sacrifice it would require of her. A thousand years before Jesus taught that principle, Israel's most beloved king, King David, understood this principle already, and one day he was going to offer a really, really, really important sacrifice. And I won't tell you the whole story, but a, 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 a fellow Israelite came up and he said to David, listen, I'll give you the sacrifice. It's my honor to give this to the king. And I want you to look at David's response. It's up here. David said, I will not give to the Lord an offering that costs me nothing. Wow. When we get this right, it's beautiful. I want to read a passage of scripture as we close that describes a church where they got this idea of generosity. They got it and they lived it out. And I want you to see how beautiful it is. Take a look. All the believers were united in heart and mind. That's kind of cool, don't you think? Yeah, it goes on to say, and they felt that what they owned was not what? Their own. And they shared everything they had. And the apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord's, Lord Jesus. And God's great blessing was upon them all. And there was no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those in need. Does that sound crazy? I'm pretty sure that nobody who sold a piece of land or sold a house died a pauper. And if you could interview them today and ask them, do you regret selling that land or that house and giving that money away? They would say, no, it's probably the best thing I ever did. So how can this be a life-changing Sunday for us? Well, we have five great causes in the season of giving that we have invited you to give to. Okay? We have a barrel out there for coats and sweaters. Six barrels of stuff has already come in. That's awesome, don't you think? Yeah, that's terrific. 
Almost 90 shoe boxes are going to kids around the world. Hundreds of dollars have come in for us to this June go down and build a house in Mexico. We're working on feeding the 5,000. I want to share with you a step that Monica and I are taking. When we look at the five causes and we look at what's needed, it leads us to one number. But when we ask a different question, it leads us to a different place. Instead of saying how much money is needed in Mexico or how many shoe boxes are needed or how many coats or whatever, what would happen? I know this is what God's doing in my life. If I ask the question, how much would I need to give in order for it to be a real sacrifice? What would I have to give so that what I gave actually required me to do without something I really wanted? Listen, if you're hearing that from a position of guilt, please don't. God doesn't want you guilted into anything. But if you want to take a step forward in the development of a generous heart and spirit, then I want to encourage you, whether it's what you give to the church generally, whether it's where you volunteer in service or out in the community, all those various things, begin to press into what could I do that would actually require me to sacrifice to the point that I'm giving up time that I would actually rather be doing something else. That I would give up money that I would actually rather buy something else with. And when we, when we do that, we get to live with a father's heart. Because I will guarantee you that God blesses me when he kind of doesn't want to. I know that because I wouldn't even want to bless me sometimes. But he does. It's a sacrifice he makes on my behalf. So my question for you, what step could you take this week that would grow your spirit of generosity? God, I thank you for the ways that you speak to us and the clarity. I know it's counterintuitive and you, you call us to these things that don't seem natural and yet when we have the faith to step into them, oh my goodness, we thrive. Thank you, Jesus, for loving us enough to tell us the truth. Holy Spirit, would you help us right now to take a step forward in the development of a generous or a more generous heart and spirit 
so we could be more like our Heavenly Father. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.